What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. We are going to be continuing in our sermon series called The Vibrant Christian Life. And we kicked this off last week with Pastor Megan as we talked about the vibrant Christian life with following Jesus. And today we'll be kicking off the vibrant Christian life with God's people. Somebody say, uh oh. Uh oh. All right. So today our passage of scripture is going to be coming from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And Pastor David, since our scripture reader Wayne is not here today, uh, would you come up? Pastor David's going to read one through three, and then together we're going to read four, five, and six, because today, or every day, here at Hope Valley Church, we believe that participation is better than? All right, guys, let's do this. So go ahead and stand to your feet out of respect and reverence for scripture. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Altogether, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, open our minds to understand, our hearts to comprehend, and our soul to willingly respond to the truth of your gospel and to what your spirit is doing in this time. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor David. All right, guys, let's get into this. So, if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls... Yes, I thought I would. There's countless of hilarious scenes in that movie. But in the beginning of the movie, there's this montage of all these different cliques in the school cafeteria. And the central character and the camera are panning from table to table, group to group. And the main character is asking herself this question of, where do I belong? Where do I sit? Or maybe she's asking herself the question of, where do I want to belong? And... When we think about this, this makes us ponder a question when we watch a movie like that, where where do I belong? What am I doing to belong somewhere? Where do I feel safe? And this is not a question that is done in an echo chamber because many people in our society are also asking that exact same question. Where do I feel safe? Who are my people? Where can I go? And this is not something that is even just done just in society, but scientists, scholars are also asking this question. Many scientists have done studies and they've found that when there is this desire to belong to people, this desire to be one with people. In addition to this, scientists have also discovered that when people are together and they feel like they belong, there's tremendous benefits. But when people are separated, of course, there's negative impact that happens to people. So to expound on this a little bit more, I feel like in a time where we are more connected, 
more, um, more able to con communicate with people than ever before due to the internet, due to cell phones, uh, due to social media, we still as a society still very lonely. Now, according to the data, I got some charts here, some really cool charts. Uh, this is not good news though. <laughs> according to the data, Denver is in the top 30 in the nation for the loneliest place to live. Top 30. That's not in Colorado, that's the nation. On top of that, Colorado is ranked seventh in the nation for suicide. And then on top of that, this is the one that hurts me the most, is Denver is number one in the nation for the worst place to raise your child. I'm sorry, parents. Okay? I'm in the same boat. I'm raising two kids here. So we're going we're gonna to be together on this. Now, how can this be? Denver is the place that you go. This is where you go to live your best life. We got the mountains, Sunday mimosas, and more money so we can do more activities, right? That's where you want to go. Plus, it's so accepting. We accept everything out here. But clearly, something is still missing. What is missing? The truth is, you can do a lot of activities and still be depressed. You can be around a lot of people and still feel lonely. You can be accepting of almost anything and still not be encouraging. So what are we missing here? What does this have to do with the vibrant Christian life? That's what I came to hear a sermon on here today. Some of you might be saying that. Maybe you just said somebody dragged me here today. <laughs> well, it is inevitable. It's inevitable that after you give your life to Jesus, after you get set on fire for God, after you start, uh, people start recognizing that you're not the same person that you once were, after you read your Bible more than once a year, when that honeymoon phase of becoming a Christian goes away, you are going to, be in, going to be stuck with this question of, is there more? And I would say that Jesus and Jesus alone is all that we need in our relationship. However, Jesus has given us more in order to sustain us until he returns. So to explore this thought, I have titled this message, Be One. Okay? Be One. Um, and I got three points, and the three points, they really don't matter. All the three points are, are just to help you remember what we talk about here today. That's it. And those three points are be one of the called, be one of the maintainers, and be one body. So point number one, be one of the called. The word for call or a form of it shows up in our passage of Scripture four times. And anytime you see a word repeated in the passage, that's important. Put your finger on it. We got to figure out what's going on. So what does this mean to be called? Well, in the old days, you know, before cell phones, we used to have 411. And if you wanted to get in contact with somebody or if you needed a number for somebody, you call 411. Here's the thing. God knows who he wants to contact. And God knows how to contact us. And that's he wants to talk to us. He wants to have community with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. God has been meticulous. He has been diligent in reaching out and calling to his people throughout all of history. And no time, today is no different. He's still calling out to his people to come in to experience relationship with him. And when, one of the things, though, that God talks about is there's this calling. And calling oftentimes refers to as identifying and reaching out to. And in the Bible and Scripture, we see multiple forms of calling. One of the forms of calling is salvation, a call to salvation. But then there's also a call to using your special gifts that God has uniquely given each and every one of you. But then on top of that, the one that we're going to talk about today, the one that we're going to focus on today, is God calls us together collectively, 
right? See, in the Old Testament, God calls the entire nation of Israel to be priests. He calls them to be priests. And then in the New Testament, again, God calls his people under Jesus Christ to, again, be priests. So, guys, we're called, all of us, not just me, not just Pastor David, not just Pastor Megan, to be priests, to be ministers, to be people who go out into the community and make a change to deliver his good news. This is not just something that is reserved for the people who uh, are considered clergy. This is for all of us. In fact, the Greek word for church uh, is translated in the New Testament to mean a called out assembly, called out, the ecclesia, and the ecclesia is us. The ecclesia is filled with saints, and the saints are you. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic tradition, you know, the saints were reserved for special people, right? But traditionally, saints were referred to believers of Jesus, who by his work are now set apart and called to be holy for his works as a response to what he's done. As a response, it's not that we did this on our own, oh, I think it's a good idea that I'd be holy. No, we are responding to the work that he's done for us. And this collective call of all of God's people across all the nations, unified under God, is the mystery of his manifold wisdom. That is the mystery. Do you realize how hard that is to get that many people on one accord, yet alone to be set apart and be holy together? I mean, I got two sons who don't agree on anything, and they're blood-related, okay? Now, there is a problem that lies in here. You see, when you are called together, that means I got to deal with other people. All the introverts in the room sink down in your chair. I understand. I'm with you. And this is, truthfully, this is probably why a lot of people have settled for an individualistic Christianity. Now, we say we want community, but at the same time, we avoid community. Why? Because it's messy, especially in a multi-fill-in-the-blake type of church. You got cultural differences, ethnic differences, economical differences, generational differences, not to mention attitudes and time commitment. Ain't nobody got time for that, okay? <laughs> Plus, it's hard because I heard Pastor David say it, it wasn't me, so y'all blame him. He said, because I'm a sinner and you're sinners too. That also makes it hard to do life together. Now, when we can identify there is difficulty in this, right? But there's something that we can't deny that there is something uniquely special about a multifaceted, multi-manifold way of God's love that is expressed in church. Now, I probably have had some form of this conversation with many of you in this room, and it goes something like this. You come in, you say, this church is so diverse in leadership and congregation. You say it's so welcoming. And then you say uh, it's caring and everybody gets along. Uh, another thing I've recently heard is you say, oh, you guys don't even have stock photos on the website. That's actually your people. And we're happy about that. But then you say, but I've been hurt before by churches. And this seems too good to be true. When is the bottom of this thing going to fall out? When is the other shoe going to, when is the other shoe going to fall? And people have been unfortunately not committed to a body of Christ because of the past hurts, because of the past experiences where churches and church leaders have hurt them. And honestly, I don't blame them. I don't blame you if that is you here today. And if you've been hurt by churches and church leaders, it is okay. There is a healing process that you probably have to go through. Please reach out to us. We got connection volunteers and we got leaders here who can put real resources in your hand to help you get whole again so that you can follow Jesus uninhibited by all these other things that you're holding on to. If that is you here today, please reach out. Now, 
It is sad that God's people have been beaten, fooled, and tricked so many times that I call them battered Christians now. Uh, They flinch every time you say the word church. Ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) I remember when we first got here to Colorado in September 2019. Uh, Y'all know what was about to come next. It was September 2019. A couple months later, we were about to get hit with the pandemic. But my wife and I, we hit the ground running. And one of the things we were doing, we were reaching out to different people, different uh, trying to start a Bible study. And we met a couple. We found out they were Christian, and we wanted to invite them to dinner and share God's word with them. Well, in the process, before I could even finish my ass, the very first thing that came out of her mouth was she said, we are happy at our church. Yes, we are happy. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even ask you about your church. I just wanted to know if you wanted to come for dinner. Did you want to talk about God? But people are so battered and so flinchy and so touchy about the topic of church that they are wanting to push off and push against certain things. But anyway, back to the Hope Valley people, because you guys are great. You guys don't act like that. (laughs) Hope Valley, you say all the good compliments, but you worry about, is this going to last? And I recently got asked a question. She said, how do you make sure this doesn't happen here? And the answer to this is, I got good news and I got more good news. The good news is, it's not up to me, thank God. And it's not up to Pastor David and it's not up to Pastor Megan to keep the unity here. Who it's up to, this is the more good news, it's up to all of us. We all maintain the unity collectively. You see, to live a vibrant Christian life with God's people, we have to do our part to maintain this community of people. You see, God did the act of creating one family in Christ, but then he expects his people to maintain this family and act in a way that honors the work that he has already done. But trying to maintain unity is like herding some cats, (laughs) y'all. There's so many personalities, so many preferences, uh, so many people who think they know the right thing about everything, prideful people. And it doesn't even include the multi-ethnic, multi-generational part of this whole thing. You see, and this brings us down to uh, our next point, which is be one of the maintainers, okay? Be one of the maintainers. This is really simple. A maintainer is somebody who already maintains something that is already established. Nothing deep about that, okay? Now, verse three is, verse three of our text uh, talks about that we don't create unity, but we have to make every effort to maintain that. Somebody say that sounds like work. It does sound like work. That's right. Making every effort to maintain unity signifies that unity is actually active. It's not passive, y'all. It doesn't just happen. We have to, let me hear that again, we have to work at it. And your vibrant Christian life depends on it. I think most people would agree that it is much easier to do Christianity, to live a Christian life without everybody else. All my introverts in the room say amen. I, I hear that, yeah. But you see, a vibrant Christian life is not fulfilled or even seen in solitude. No, the vibrant Christian life is unlocked when you are in community with other people. It is unlocked when you are sharing life with other people. Now, if you're saying to yourself, what is this community that everybody keeps talking about? They say it up front. They talk about finding your people and all of this stuff. Well, the community is everyone in this room. Everybody in this room is a part of the community. Anybody in this church and if you just have a, re- if you don't have a relationship beyond high or by on a Sunday morning, you need to find and identify somebody in this room and commit to having a relationship with these people. Now, if you say to yourself, well, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to develop relationships. I got an easy way for you to do it. 
You know those connect cards that you have on your desk or right beside you? You can check the, I want to sign up for a midweek group, and that would do half the work for you. Sign up for a midweek group because it's something about the gathering of the saints. There's something about when all of God's people come together that brings out a whole new level of safety, that brings out a whole new level of belonging. And for those of you who were at the ENC conference a couple weeks ago, who are the ENC people? There we go. Yeah. So I've been to those things, and it's absolutely incredible. It's something about, you know, being around other people who don't look like you, who don't sound like you, but they worship the same God as you. And then you are believing for miracles together. And when all of these things are happening at once, it just feels like I belong here. Something special is happening here. And honestly, I think that's what we all want. I think we all want a place where we can be seen, a place where we can be heard, a place where we can be understood, even if I'm different. But these moments will be never felt if there was not unity there, if we didn't love each other beyond our differences. This unity was so important to the Apostle Paul, and Paul wrote about a whole lot of things. But the interesting thing is Paul wrote about maintaining unity in almost every single letter of his New Testament epistles, right? So if we look at this, Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 1, 10, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Galatians 5, 13 through 15, Ephesians chapter 4, all of the book of Ephesians is really about unity, uh, Philippians 2, 2, he writes about it a lot. So why is unity so important? What could be so uh, important about unity? Well, I heard Pastor Kevin York of Every Nation talk about the power of the unified church. And I won't dare try to summarize it because I'm not going to do it justice. It was just one of those things where you had to be there in order to experience it. But one of the things that I remember about it is he says that enemy loves to keep the church scattered. Even though a scattered church still prevails because there's nothing that can stop God. But the enemy loves to keep the church scattered because the devil is afraid of what the united church is going to do. The, the enemy is afraid of what a kingdom of God who is on one accord will do in the earth. That's what he's afraid of. And so if I can easily pick you guys off one by one, that's a whole lot easier than trying to take all of you at one time. You see what I'm saying? Now, what we have here, this is why unity is under constant threat. The world preaches separation. The world preaches love yourself, treat yourself, do whatever makes you feel happy, and this will give you freedom. And it might, but it also probably will leave you lonely because then you're only thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about anybody else. It is different in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is a sense of self that is not neglected, but highlighted and expressed uniquely in the collective people of God. In the kingdom of God, there's a sense of self that is not neglected, but highlighted and expressed uniquely in the collective people of God. This type of Christian love and this type of Christian community can only be seen uh, when we are practicing a reflection of God's love in its very dimensions. This is why Paul tries to talk about this in verse 2, when he talks about attitudes of humility and attitudes of gentleness and patience to maintain this unity. But this alone won't produce much without something outside of our sinful selves to hold it all together. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Yes. Now, we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is peace, y'all. The Holy Spirit helps us to lovingly understand and at times tolerate one another when, when we don't understand each other, when we don't have peace with one another. So the first thing we need to do is pray for the Holy Spirit, and I got to keep going. So 
we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit, but this will help us to practice humility, help us practice gentleness, help us practice uh, bearing with one another. We want to practice humility because humility is us submitting to God's authority and not our own authority. Um, Humility is ordering our life in such a way that we are willing to serve God by serving others. Okay? Hashtag join our service team, please. Please. Now, the interesting thing is in Greek culture, humility was actually thought of as a vice. It was actually looked down upon, something that was only practiced by slaves. In fact, Christians were ridiculed for humility. Pride was actually more highly valued. And I think in our culture today, it's still that way. Exalt yourself. Show yourself on the internet. Uh, Pamper yourself. Think about yourself first. Now, I do want to clarify. I noticed that I've said this a couple times. There is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself, okay? I I do want to clarify that. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. But when you only think about yourself at the expense of Christian unity, that is a problem. Pride means being a sense of self. But conversely, um, humility is being filled with God. And that means that the church doesn't exist just for you. The church exists for God and his people together collectively. Then we need to practice gentleness. Gentleness or meekness literally means power under control. This is the opposite of self-assertion. This is the opposite of rudeness. This is the opposite of harshness. In fact, uh, this suggests that having one's emotions under control. I like to use the example of my wife. Uh, (laughs) I love you, honey. Uh, You see, with my wife, she always jokes that she has gentleness now and meekness uh, because she, she don't kill me when I get on her last nerve, right? You see, that's power under control. That's a Latina Puerto Rican woman who could take me out at any time, but there's power under control. You see, gentleness is not exerting power even though you could. Gentleness is not exerting power even though you could to preserve something. You see what I'm saying? I love you, honey. Uh, Now, depending on how gentle we are with one another will depend on if we encourage this body of people or tear it apart, okay? Now, we also need to practice patience. Patience is believing God's timetable is good no matter what it is, whether it's quicker than you thought or longer than you thought. Oftentimes, it's more longer. Now, for those of you who knew about my trip back home to Virginia, we drove in a car with two kids all the way to Virginia. And this trip was challenging, to say the least. I'll just say that. That's a nice way to say it. And as we were taking this trip, on the last day of we trying to get Virginia, my youngest son loses his patience. He lo- Actually, he lost his mind. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing was, the thing is, you know, like the kids always say uh, that famous saying, are we there yet? He was saying that every 30 minutes. But then he finally get to a point where if he did not get to see his grandparents in the next 10 minutes, he had came up with the worst scenario in the world. He said, I'm never going to see them again. He had freaked out. I mean, like it just came out of him all of a sudden. And we were like, what in the world is happening? But you see, he had lost his patience. He had lost his hope. And he began to panic. Family. If we are going to work and live in patient love, we have to, what did I say? We, we have to and must endure annoyances and challenges over a period of time that is often not our time, okay? Now, finally, family, we got to bear with one another in love. And this is different than keeping the peace. 
which often, all too often implies unhealthy compromises. You see, sometimes we do need to say hard things. Sometimes we do need to speak truth to lies that have been keeping people in bondage, that have been keeping people from walking in freedom. We have to speak truth to those things. But when we speak truth to those things, we do it in a relational and caring way. And when we receive things that are hard, hear this, we don't burn the house down. We don't say, forget you guys, I'm going home, I don't like you anymore. No, we don't do that. No, when we receive hard things, we have to now take it and process it and say, you know what, God, I'm going to assume the best of this person first. Because to bear with one another, we must patiently endure what may seem like an eternity in order for the Holy Spirit to work on a bunch of sinful people and bringing them together. Okay? Now, doing this and doing all these things I just mentioned, I'm running through this really quickly, is... This will ultimately bring unity in the body of Christ if it's held together by Holy Spirit, which brings us to our last point, which is be one body. And I'll add in there under God. Paul uses the word one, which means a single unit in its context that we're talking about it. And he uses it, last time they talked about four times, Paul uses the word one eight times in six verses. So you know that's really important here. So why is one important in the context of this scripture? Well, in John chapter 17, verses 21 to 23, Jesus prays for his disciples. And he's praying for his disciples here because he's about to face the cross for the sins of the world, for the world. And he's doing this. It's interesting that he's praying for oneness here because out of all the things that he could pray for in this moment, this is what he's praying for. He's not praying that they're going to become rich and wealthy after he's gone. He's not praying that they will never get sick, that they will never suffer, that they will never die. He's not praying that they're going to become perfect all of a sudden and be able to do everything right by themselves. No, he's praying that they will be one. And similarly, Jesus does the same thing after the resurrection. So, yes, they do scatter. They all left them. They was like, I ain't got time for this. This is too hard. I don't want to deal with this. And isn't that like us? When things get hard, one, we desert community, and two, we desert Jesus. I don't want to deal with this. It's too hard. And so what we have to do here is this body of Christ, we have to look at this rhythm of coming to Jesus and then going out. We have to look at this rhythm of the Father, Son, and the Spirit being executed here. Pastor Megan talked about this last week. And we also as a church have the same rhythms, family. We come into church on Sunday mornings, and then we go out to our jobs. We come into midweek groups during the week, and then we go out to our communities. We come in uh, to praise and worship nights, and then we go out into the world. It's a, it's, a, it's a rhythm that the church has, and this is how God is pouring into us. And when we do this, this is an example of God and the Trinity. Amen? Now, the body of Christ should always manifest peace and not strife, safety and not fear. I once heard Pastor Dion Lee say it like this. The people of God should feel safer than any other groups out there in the world where people could come and not wear a mask, share their life story, and I will add, be met with the beautiful truth of the gospel. I want you guys to ask yourself these questions this week. Are you creating an environment where others can come and share their story? Do you try and remember people's names? Do you try and let people see and know you? Those are your questions I want you to ponder this week. Now, I got to hurry up and land before they won't let me preach again. Uh, now, Hope Valley, we might just be an anomaly here in the city of Denver right now. We might be an anomaly. 
But as we grow, as we impact this city with the truth of the gospel, it is going to get harder to maintain unity because of our color, because of our ethnicity, because of the things that we like, and because of our political preference. It's going to get harder, but we must choose to do so because of Christ's love for us. It is a choice to be unified. It is a choice to say, I'm going to do life with this group of people here that are also sinners. I'm doing life with them. It is not something that is done by force. It is not something that is done by me twisting your arm and saying you got to stay here. But this is true submission to God and his greater work. Hope Valley, let our love be a force of love that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. I'm tired of Denver being a place where people are lonely. I'm tired of Denver being a place where people are going committing suicide. I am tired of people aimlessly searching for hope, searching for groups, when the thing that they're searching for is right here, is with Jesus. This is not just for you, family, but everything that we do while we have this community is an example of God's love, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And because we now receive that, we can go out there and tell them that what we got is also for them. Family, in order to live our best vibrant life, we must do it in the way that the Creator has designed it. By following Him first and by doing life with His people. Amen.